I know what you're thinking. Emily, can you please just pick a opening song that you like? And the answer is no. I'm just going to have a new one every week until I find one that I inevitably like. So, yeah. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Fangirl Meets World. It's me, your girl, Emily. And this is a podcast where I unfortunately meet the world. I hope everyone has been doing well. I hope that you all are staying safe and healthy and that you're getting your vitamin D while also staying cool enough so that you don't melt like those traffic lights were in Arizona or New Mexico or Portland or wherever the hell they were melting. I just, I feel like that's been everywhere these days. We're in August. So I feel like we're all just dying, but I hope you're doing well. I feel like it has been forever and also no time at all has passed since I last sat down and recorded an episode. Time is weird that way, which I'm sure many of you out there would agree, but here we are. We're in August now, which hello, that's something. And life is just trucking right on ahead as as scheduled and i have been watching things i guess i don't really know i have been living if that's the proper word shit's been going down lately and i while i have a what an interesting episode i have planned for you today let me tell you I wanted to just really quickly talk about some stuff that has been happening both in the world and in my life. As far as my life goes, I it's August. Um, at the time I'm recording this, it's August the 7th, and I'm getting ready to go back to work. By the time I post this episode, it will probably be when I'm back in the thick of it, I... I'm in education. I work in education. For those of you who may not know, I am a teacher and this will be my second year teaching, which the first year was left a lot to be desired, to be quite frank. It was a very interesting year. It was a very challenging year. I didn't know if I would be coming back for a second year, but I am. I am also changing positions, kind of. I'm changing schools. I'm in the same district where I did my first year, but I'm doing it at a different school. I'm doing totally different age group. I'm, it's just an entirely new experience. So I feel like I'm walking back to square one after almost making it to, after making it to home base. It's like someone was like, oh, just kidding. None of that counted. Go back to first base. So that's where I feel like I'm at, but I feel like, I feel excited about it. I was talking with my therapist about this the other day. And last year, I was nervous and excited. But I think I was more nervous than excited. And this year, I'm nervous and excited, but I feel more excited than nervous. And that's a lot of words. And I'm sure I could have put that much more eloquently than I did. But I didn't. So here we are. And I'm looking forward to it. It's a new adventure. I'm like trying to keep a positive outlook on it. You know, my anxiety got really bad last year while I was 
doing my first year of teaching, and I won't get too far into it. Um, if you would like me to talk about this more in depth in an episode, you know, I'd be I'd be happy to. But I am going into this year with a positive mindset, and I was talking to my therapist and my friend Claire earlier about how this is, I'm telling myself, this is going to be the year in which I don't mourn summer being over. Like, yes, I will be sad that summer is over, but I'm not going to look at it as, okay, well, this is officially the end of the season or the time in the year where I get to be creative and I get to do things that I enjoy and I get to, you know, just do whatever the hell I want, basically, you know, I, I just kind of told myself, I was like, people work jobs year round. Like people do that. People like I am in a profession where probably the only profession where I have like a, a break in my year that's that exists. And I, you know, I don't have to take personal time. I don't have to, you know, go without being paid. I, I have a two month break in the year. And I, I always look at that time and I've looked at that time ever since I was in school, really, I was like, okay, this is where I can be myself. And I was like, for two months out of the year, this is when I get to, you know, explore my creativity and I get to, you know, do things like I get to write and I get to like watch TV and just have like an uninterrupted flow of creativity and, just expressing myself, I suppose, and exploring these different avenues and just kind of doing my me work, if you will. And then I would get back to the school year and I'm like, okay, well, that was fun, but we have to turn all that off in order to get through the next 10 months of our lives. And I'm telling myself that that is not a realistic precedent to have set for myself that other people out there do it all the time. They work their nine to five from January to December and they don't have any like extended breaks in there and they still have time to do the things that they love. They still have time to have a life beyond the four walls of their brick and mortar institution. They, you know, they have time to dedicate to their passions and their dreams and their relationships. And if they can do it, then why can't I? So I'm going into it with that outlook and I'm not mourning this period like I normally do every year. I We get to this last week of summer and I am in like a depressive state where all I do is just lament and beat myself up over how much I didn't accomplish during the summer. And I usually just like lay in bed and watch Netflix which is what I've been doing all week, but I haven't been beating myself up for it. So it's the tiny victories, my friends. So that's where I'm at personally. And as far as the world goes, let me tell you, first of all, I know no, literally no one asked for my thoughts or opinions on Miss Girl, Miss Scarlett Johansson, suing Disney Literally no one asked for my opinion. No one cares what I think about this, but I'm going to touch on it. So it came out whenever. I, I don't know because again, time's not real. I don't know. I don't know what's going on ever. 
And it came out that Scarlet was suing the mouse that runs our whole freaking world. She's suing Disney for a breach of contract in relation to the Black Widow movie, basically saying that Dis- when Disney decided to do a hybrid release that that breached her contract, which was originally written for um, a theatrical release and didn't say anything about a hybrid release, really. I Listen, I'm not a lawyer. I am not someone who reads contracts and legally binding agreements. I One of Amanda is my best friend. She is a lawyer. And let me tell you, if I ever get into a legal crisis, I'm just going to look at her and I'm just going to say, girl, you tell me what I need to do because I don't understand any of this. Law is like economics to me. It makes no sense. The only things I do know about like law and court proceedings and legal juju is from Casey Novak on Law and Order SVU. That's all I know. So I got nothing when it comes to like cases and lawsuits like this, especially because it has nothing to do with what happens on Special Victims Unit. So basically Scarlett sued because Disney breached their contract with her by releasing it on Disney Plus. And to make a long story short, they owe her a shit ton of money. And, you know, I have to say, regardless of your feelings on Scarlett Johansson, because Lord knows that girl needs a new publicist. Like Marcel, I am literally plotting on dethroning you and taking over her camp. Like, just watch your back because I'm coming. She needs a new publicist. I've said this for years now. Regardless of your feelings on her, regardless of, you know, how you feel about her as a person, her as an actor, her as just a, a entity, really, her as a concept, I feel like if it had been Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr. who sued Disney for a breach of contract over money, people would not be reacting the way that they are towards Scarlett doing this. And I will say, I haven't seen a whole bunch of like outspokenness against her and like why she's why she's doing this because I really at the end of the day I I want <laughs> the optimist in me and the part of me that gives everyone the benefit of the doubt even if they don't really deserve it part of me wants to say that she's doing this in the same reason that Taylor Swift sued um that DJ guy whose name I do not believe in saying for a dollar when she countersued him Um, and it's not because it's about money or, you know, whatever. It's just about like the principle of the thing and the fact that if Disney is screwing over one of the most prominent actors, figures, like per, like public figures of our generation, if Disney it just doesn't even bat an eye at screwing them over, imagine how the poor little guy feels and what Disney does to the little guy. Part of me wants to say that that's ultimately why, like that was what fueled this and it wasn't coming from a place of greed. Cause I mean, y'all let's be honest. 
that bitch has more money than she knows what to do with. Like she, she is ultimately at the end of the day, whether or not she gets that $50 million that Disney owed her, it, it's not really going to make a difference. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think she is literally counting her pennies and she's like, oh my God, I have been shorted $50 million. We need to make this right immediately. Like, because I need the money. Like, I, I don't think that's where she's coming from. <laughs> I like to think that I, I mean, I don't know her, but I like to think that I have enough of a brain and enough insight to know, hmm, she's not that vapid. Like, I think we have progressed enough that we, like, that women aren't just, like, completely vapid and money obsessed. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe she is, and I just, she is making me look every bit the clown that I probably am. Who knows? But at the end of the day, I think she's smart enough to know that if she's going to go after arguably the literal biggest is it is Disney a corporation? I, I got no fucking clue. If if she is willing to go after Disney, Disney, the thing that this earth practically revolves around, like we don't even revolve around the sun anymore. We revolve around the silhouette of the freaking Mickey Mouse ears. Like if she is willing to challenge that a la David and Goliath from the Bible, then like I, I've completely lost... I've completely lost the point that I was trying to make. But basically, I don't think she's doing it for the money. And I think she's doing it because she got screwed over and wasn't going to take it lying down. Which, again, good for her, regardless of how you feel about it. Good for her for standing up to the fact that she got screwed and, you know, she's she's doing something about it. That's more than I ever would do, let alone facing the literal corporation that this entire planet's axis is consistent of. Like, I, I can't wrap my brain around that. Kudos to you, girlfriend. Again, I don't read... I, I don't read, period, the end. I don't know a lot of, like, the technicalities and the details of all this, so please take everything I say with a grain of salt. But at the end of the day, good for her for standing up for herself. You know, we live in a world where it it, it we, we literally wouldn't see someone doing this because, again, the magnitude and the grip that Disney has on our whole freaking society is nuts like disney owns everything like Di I, disney owns everything disney probably owns my house so there you go but the fact that it's somebody who is well known and basically homegirl has nothing left to lose at this point she's like y'all kill me off let's go bring it let's play hardball. Good for her. I, I will say I'm, I'm very pleased with, with the natural order in which I have seen people not so much making the argument of, you know, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I have, 
I have seen people bringing up the, like the doubled standard with it, in which everyone would be on like Chris Evans's team if he was suing Disney for a breach of contract. But because it's Scarlet and it's because it's a woman, like we all have a different name. Like, I'm glad I haven't seen a whole lot of that, but I still have seen some of that. And like I said, I don't care how you feel about her. If like, look, Disney runs the world. She is a brave little soul for standing up. And, you know, now Emily Blunt and Emma Stone are thinking of filing lawsuits as well because of how they got screwed with their films. So really, Scarlett Johansson is Katniss Everdeen at this point in time. She will lead the revolution in which we dismantle the Disney-archy. So that is that. That's all I'm going to say about that because, again, I know nothing in terms of like a legal brouhaha so and I don't want to say anything that makes me sound even dumber than I already am so that was that thing that happened in the world another thing that happened in the world that was relevant and significant to me in all things pop culture was Taylor Allison Swift making me lose my freaking mind over this red album Taylor's version mess it's a mess I'm going to be a mess if you know me then you know Taylor Swift is like my mother my mother would take offense to me saying that but she's not listening to this Taylor Swift is everything to me. I love that woman. I would take a bullet for her. I she has been such a major part of my life for more than half of my life, really. And I am just very grateful for her existence on this planet and what she puts out into this world and just I love her. I love Taylor Swift. This should not be news. The Red Album specifically holds a very, very special place in my little heart. I was 14 when the Red Album came out. I had been a fan of Taylor Swift since Tim McGraw. My mother listened to country radio, so that was how I was introduced to Taylor. I loved her music. I would make little fan video edits on YouTube in 2008 and 2009 with pictures of her that I saved off of photo bucket. Yeah, you heard me right. And I would just make a video to like body control by Leighton Meester because that's what she did on YouTube back in 2008 and 2009. And I was, I was a fan, you know, I had the CDs. I sang a Taylor Swift song in talent show in fifth grade. And then again at the mall, I still remember the choreography. Red was the album in which everything shifted for me and everything changed. And liking Taylor Swift wasn't just like something I did, you know, like some people mow their lawn. Some people, you know, cook. Some people on their drive home, they'll stop by a Wendy's and get a Frosty you know, just a casual, a casual kind of thing. I listened to Taylor Swift. And when I was like really sad, I would do what, what most people did and listen to Taylor Swift. 
but it wasn't my like entire personality until the red album came out. And when we are never, ever getting back together came out in August, 2014, 2014, 2012. Wow. Oh my God. That was my one personality trait was the red album and Taylor Swift. Like that was it. And so red has always held a very special place in my heart. I love the red album. That was the first time I saw Taylor Swift live for the first time. That's the first time I saw her in concert was on the red tour. I, I just, I love the red album. It holds a very special place in my heart. I knew that this day would come and she would re-record Ren and I would be in a panic. I didn't realize we were getting it right after Fearless, but in a way I'm kind of glad because I don't know how I could emotionally process or handle anything else, but I also don't know how I'm going to emotionally process or handle this. This woman released the vault for the album. I guess it was yesterday. Today's August 7th. So I guess it was yesterday. I don't really know. This woman, I do not claim to be a smart Swifty. Half the time, I don't even claim being a Swifty, but I'm not one of the smart ones. I'm not one of the ones who have the brain power to deal with Taylor Swift's bullshit. I just don't. Okay. I'm dumb. I'm dumb. It, it is. It is what it is. I, good Lord, I just remember when the vault video came out and I saw a Z in there, I was like, what, what do you mean there is a Z? What word could this woman have used in a song title that starts with Z? And then I realized, oh, it's a freaking crossword puzzle. I'm not doing that. I was like, I will let the smarter Swifties handle this because I am, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. Like, yeah, I had a folder of unreleased Taylor Swift demos on my laptop that I'm not going to talk about how I got because do I have them? Not as far as Republic Records is concerned, but, you know, I'm dumb. I can't be doing this. Taylor Swift, I don't have a brain. I can't do this. What? What she's literally going to have us cracking Da Vinci's code for the reputation album. I'm going to have to take a class in freaking hieroglyphics, ancient runes at Hogwarts in order to comprehend and understand and just figure out the freaking song titles. Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. So she releases the vault, the vault songs. And I am in so much trouble. I don't even know where to begin. First of all, this album is 30 tracks long. As someone who deeply loved having 19 tracks, 19 songs that were original and then an additional three demo slash acoustic versions on Red, my heart is so happy with the 30 songs. This is everything 14-year-old me dreamed of. That's where I got the 14 from earlier. I am so excited. Like, for one, I'm so glad that she has regained ownership over the song Ronin for very, very obvious reasons. Am I going to be able to listen to that song? Absolutely not. But because it just breaks my freaking soul. But I'm glad she has, I'm glad she owns it. 
It's what she deserves. It's what Mama Maya deserves. We're getting the solo version of Better Man and Babe, which I do have my feelings on those. Personally, I feel like those didn't need to be vault tracks because I already know what the fuck those are. They're on the radio. I feel like she just could have tacked those in like right after Girl at Home, which is a bop. We will have that argument on another podcast episode. But like she could have added those in there and then given us more vault tracks, which is selfish of me to say, but I am not ashamed. Taylor Swift, the Red Album is my favorite album. Please release every scrap, every abandoned verse, chorus, half-structured song that you had come to you in the middle of the night while making the Red Album. I need it to survive. I... I just and then we get to the actual vault songs, which, dear Lord, I recognize none of them, save for nothing new, which she mentioned in one of the lover journals. All the rest of them, I have never heard. And like I said, not saying I've heard the Taylor Swift unreleased demos from the inner circle in my time, the ones that they would actually give out. Um, but you know, I might have, it might have come to me in a dream once and I I've never heard of any of these. So I'm in trouble. I'm in real, really big trouble. I don't know how I feel about having features because when I'm back in the day, when red first came out, I was like, Oh my God, why are there features on this album? And then they ended up being like my favorite songs on the album. But also, I'm just like men in general. No, thank you. But I just, I just, Taylor, girl, I don't need nobody else. I just need you and your fake country accent. That's all I need. You, we don't have to, we don't have to get the gang to come be on all of our songs. We can, we, we will be okay if we're not name dropping people, even though you are the queen and you don't need to name drop. I just, you know, I'm excited for the collab with Ed Sheeran because obviously that holds like sentiment. Like Ed was on the original. He shouldn't have another song on Red. That would make sense. I'm fine with that. But like Chris Stapleton, yeah, he's a great singer. I don't listen to his music because I don't really listen to country. But like, what? what's the point? What's the significance? What, what, like to me, it would make, like having Keith Urban on the fearless re-records and like that makes conceptual sense there's significance and meaning to that but like chris stapleton what where'd he come from like girl y'all can just release a single on his album if you really want to collab that badly you know what i mean or like you you call up boney ver again who for quite some time i thought was bon ivor you call up justin and y'all can do something but again, no one asks for my opinions. So I'm sure I will end up loving all of the songs. That's not a, a concern. It's just, a, you know, a thought. It's just a thought that I wanted to throw out into the world. This, however, is a complaint. Taylor Swift, where in the literal fuck are safe and sound and eyes open? If you can put Today Was a Fairy Tale on the Fearless album, then you can put Safe and Sound and Eyes Open on the Red album. Thank you very much for attending my TED Talk. 
those songs, Taylor, if you don't free safe and sound and eyes open from Scooter Braun's grubby little hands, I will do it. I will free them. They will be my songs. I mean, I'll give them to you. But girl, what? how you going to leave those two children behind? How you going to leave two of your best kids behind? Come on, girl. Re-record the songs you did for the Hunger Games soundtrack. I, this is me begging. This is me begging. Taylor, please. Girl, you can literally just put out a two-track EP single double feature shit. I don't care. Just put out Safe and Sound and Eyes Open on their own. But girl, free them. I need it. I need it so bad. You don't understand. I may not ever forgive her for abandoning them off of this album. Like, she can't put them on speak now. That doesn't make sense. Safe and Sound and Eyes Open are red songs. They're red songs. And I want you to tell me that I'm wrong. They belong on red. They belong. This is this is a personal attack to me. And Sweeter Than Fiction. I mean, I don't really have as much personal investment in Sweeter Than Fiction. But like, what about her? Taylor, what are you doing? Why are you abandoning? Like, what? Girl. Girl. You're telling me we can save Today Was a Fairy Tale, but we can't save two of the best songs you've ever written. And then... Sweeter than fiction? You telling me we can't do that? Girl, we we got some problems. I'm not about that. We we uh, girl, email me, call me, call me, beat me if you want to reach me, text me, email me, pager me, carrier pigeon me. We got some stuff to talk about cuz that no, justice for safe and sound. I feel as though I couldn't have plotted out a better segue if I tried. So while we're on the topic of Safe and Sound and the Hunger Games soundtrack, we're now going to move on into the main event of this here podcast, which is my Hunger Games mania, Hunger Games of Palooza, my experience with the Hunger Games because that is probably the one fandom series saga whatever you want to call it that is probably the most defining that I have had in all my time immersed in fandom culture it's something that now, I don't really expound on as much because, A, I just assume that at some point in time, the beast will rear its ugly head and you'll see it for yourself. Or, I we're just at a point in life where, unfortunately, The Hunger Games is not as mainstream as one would think because, y'all... The Hunger Games was a phenomenon, okay? it, The Hunger Games was not just a moment, but it was the moment. Like, 2012, 2013, holy shit, you would have thought Jesus was returning when it came to these books being adapted into films. So, we will just jump right in. 
My first ever encounter with the Hunger Games that I distinctly remember was when I was in middle school. I was in sixth grade and there was a boy at my lunch table because it, where I went to middle school for like a year before I moved, um, our class would all sit at the same super long lunch table. So you could sit with whoever you wanted to, but ultimately the whole class was at one table and this boy was sitting near and I noticed that he had a copy of Catching Fire and I just remember kind of looking at it and I was like, oh, okay, a book. Good for you, sir. Glad you're reading and furthering your knowledge and the betterment of your mind and education. You know, good for you. And I remember when I went to the book fair, which, y'all, they need to have book fairs for adults because I miss going to the book fair. Like the book fair was like a holiday. It was my favorite time of the year. My mom was also a librarian, so she got to help with the book fair. And having the early access sneak peek was just everything. But I remember I went to the book fair and I saw the Hunger Games sitting on a table at the middle school book fair. And I just remember seeing those and being like, oh, I've I've seen that before. That was the book that so-and-so was reading at lunch one day. But for whatever reason, maybe it's because I thought I was too good or whatever, I didn't pick up the book. I just didn't. Fast forward to 2011. We jump in to my further exposure of The Hunger Games in a very left-field way. This is a story that I've told only one other time before because it is probably one of the most, like, just why moments I've ever had in my life. Like, do you know when you just have a moment where you look back and you're like, why? Who, who allowed this? Why in the world did I, I think this was going to work out? Why did I, why did I bother? You know, why? Uh, this was one of my why moments. And I, I like, this is like a cool, like little fun fact, but it's also like really embarrassing because I was deluded as a child. I wanted to be famous as a kid. I, I thought that I was going to just take over for Miley Cyrus as Hannah Montana. Like I, like I was going to be Hannah Montana. I was just going to like take on the mantle and continue on the legacy I really thought that's what was in my future. And I thought that I had what it took to be a Disney Channel triple threat because that's what all the young girls wanted to be when they grew up. And so I, at any, any like way I could get my foot in the door, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to chase my dreams, you know? And my parents were realists and looking back, I'm like, thank God, because I was just a hot mess express with the one way ticket all the way to Disasterville, USA. And I lived not somewhere where um, you have a lot of opportunities to flourish as a singer, actor, dancer for the Disney Channel. So 
when I was in middle school, I was in the seventh grade, there was this thing at the mall. And to make a long story short, I'm pretty sure it was like a scam. Like I, I look back now and I'm like, this was just not it. This was probably just a way of getting money. And my parents probably realized that, but they didn't want to crush my soul as a 13 year old girl. So I did this talent search basically at this mall and you know you did this talent search and if they like liked you and they liked your like performance it was a whole thing I sang Katy Perry's firework in like the mall on a Saturday and then I walked on a runway with a shirt I had decorated myself and I was like Tyra Banks you wish you were me so I did all that they apparently liked me you know I couldn't maybe carry a tune in a bucket. I was willing to put myself out there. So I was put taken up under their wing. I guess that's how I would say that. And I was like a part of their agency. And so I had access to basically a website full of casting calls. And this is not like casting calls that you just like you Google and anyone can turn up to like you had to, you had to know someone and like these were like a lot of these were just very 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 like independent projects um half of the stuff I put in for I was like number one my mom's never gonna drive me number two I don't really fit with like the typecasting that they're looking for number three the budget was probably like 20 bucks and I've never seen anything from any of it so you know stuff kind of like that. And so they had things arranged by like local, um, state, national. And I remember I would always look at the national because I was a big dreamer as a child. And every day I would look on the national casting calls and I was like, which one of these could I fit? And there was one and it was for, they were looking for a lead. And so me being a big dreamer, I had no intentions of starting off small. I was like, no, we need to come out the gate with a bang. We need to have a freaking top billing in a major Hollywood production. And I remember I looked at the description for, you know, what they were looking for. And it was like 14 to, no, it was older than that. It was like 16 to 20 something, you know, upper teen range. And they were looking for someone who was like my height to play the, the main role of this character. And I just remember looking at it and I was like, I can totally pass for 16. Mind you, I was 13. Um, I was blonde. I had braces but I was like, I, I think that I could be a good fit for this. I think that, you know, there's some potential here. The movie or the project was called Artemis, something with Artemis. And I remember I typed up a little resume on like notepad, my laptop. And I took a headshot that I paid $150 for because, again, I had those because these people wanted all my money. And I sent them off. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to get the role. I, I'm, I'm going to be the, the star of this film. Uh, well, that didn't happen, obviously, because I auditioned for Katniss Everdeen and uh, I didn't play Katniss Everdeen. So there you go. And then they had, they eventually had casting 
open casting calls for like extras and, you know, just very basically people to fill a shot, which are extras. It's it's late at night. Leave me alone. Um, But they had them at like the local mall, which I was like, this never happens. I need I need to go. I need to go to this. I need to be a part of this somehow. My mom wouldn't take me because it was on a school night. The casting, the auditions are like on a Tuesday night. And my mom's like, well, that's a school night. So hard pass. So again, being denied of my dreams, I was not in the Hunger Games, uh, not as Katniss, not as an extra, not as, you know, a sack of flour that Peter throws. I just was not in that film whatsoever, even though they filmed the reaping scene in my hometown of Shelby, North Carolina. So there you go. So that was 2011. I think I remember at some point someone had mentioned that they were making a movie of it. And I'm the kind of person who I will like to at least say that I read the book before seeing the movie, or at least have the book in my possession. So I bought a copy of The Hunger Games. I never read it. So then we get to 2012. We get to the magical year of 2012 where anything's freaking possible. And my best friend from like elementary school, she and I are still friends to this day. She asked me if I wanted to come over and if I wanted to go to the drive-in with her family and we were going to go see The Hunger Games. And I was like, sure. I don't know a single thing that The Hunger Games could possibly be about. But sure, like, let's hang out. I'll spend the night at your house. We'll go watch The Hunger Games. It'll be fabulous. So I did. Um, I Seeing that movie for the first time at a drive-in is so jarring. Like, I don't think you realize how chaotic of a film The Hunger Games is until you watch it for the first time at a drive-in movie theater under like a severe thunderstorm, not just like a severe thunderstorm warning, but you're like literally in the middle of a severe thunderstorm. And like you see lightning hit the ground, like 20 feet in front of you. And you're stuffed in like the third row of a van with your best friend's family. And you've taken her grandma along with her. And like, because we were the babies, we got the worst seats in the car. So my friend Victoria, her parents got the lawn chairs and I got to sit outside after the severe thunderstorm rolled on. And then my friend Victoria, her sister, Allison and her boyfriend, they got to sit in the trunk of the van. Well, because we were low man on the totem pole, we had to sit in the back seat of the van. So we had to look over the headrests out at the screen. And again, we brought grandma along with us and grandma was on the phone for the first 20 minutes of the movie. And it was one of those things where you like, I'm from the South, so I'm very familiar with this, but I don't know if you happen to be, you might, but basically in the South, when you're like getting off the phone with someone, it's like, oh, well, let me like, let me let you go, you know, like, and then you, that's how, you know, someone's trying to wind down a conversation with you. It was like 20 minutes of that. So Victoria had to download an app on her phone, which was not a smartphone. It was a little blue LG phone. So she downloaded an app on there, which was just saying a lot. And we found the radio station and we each got an earbud to listen to the movie in. And so I didn't know what was going on until about 30 minutes into the film. But I remember I watched it. I enjoyed it. I specifically remember the one scene where I was like just engrossed was the scene where Clove um, tackles Katniss. Hi, spoiler alert. 
Um, they're at the feast and Chloe tackles Katniss and is about to kill her. And I just remember watching the film and I was like, like that one scene and watching Isabel Furman. And I was like, wow, she's really good. Like the meme from Camp Rock and that like imprinted in my brain. And I don't know why that scene particularly, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you, but it, it imprinted in my brain. Like I can still remember, like after all this time, I can still remember watching it for the first time and just being like, whoa, I was obsessed. Like all teenagers in fucking America and the world, because the Hunger Games was like the new Harry Potter, the new Twilight because Harry Potter had just ended, Twilight was going to end, and we needed something to just gorge ourselves with and fawn over as teenage girls do. And I did. I It was a very shallow, basic level of like fandom love, which if you're in fandom, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Like there's just some things that like the general population love and adore. And you know, you like bandwagon it. You're like, yep, I like this too. I'm not dedicating my life and soul and naming my firstborn child after something in this fandom, but like, it's good. You know, I appreciate it. I like it. I enjoy it. It's not my lifeblood. That was how I was with the Hunger Games for the first month, maybe. And then Tumblr entered the picture and Tumblr is a graveyard now, but Tumblr was a black hole in 2012. I remember I, I, I wish I still could like if the blog was still up, but it was basically a blog and it had Hunger Games cast photos and things like that. And I was just like, hell yeah, let's go. At this point in time, I had already forced my mom to take me to see the movie again in a nicer theater where I could actually hear what was going on. And I read the rest of this. I read the first Hunger Games book and then I bought Catching Fire and Mockingjay. I read them in like under like in a weekend, if that I, I finished Catching Fire in one sitting. And then I think I did Mockingjay right after I finished Catching Fire. I went to sleep and then I woke up the next morning and finished Mockingjay. So it didn't take any time at all for me to read the books. I, me and my friends were like, because again, it's something that like everyone was talking about when you're in like middle school. It was like Pretty Little Liars. Everyone watched Pretty Little Liars. We all talked about Pretty Little Liars. And that was just like the Hunger Games. It was like fucking Twilight. Like we just, we all watched it. We were all invested in it. And so we would talk about Hunger Games at school and at lunch. And it was just like a love there. But then when I got on Tumblr in April, which was like two weeks after the movie came out, it was like hit the pedal heavy metal. There was no stopping me. And I I remember I made my first. Well, it wasn't my first, but it was like my first like official that I've committed my life, blood, sweat, tears, soul into. I made my first blog. I remember I made like a stupid text post with a GIF and it I got 67 followers out of it. And I was like, mom called the press. I'm famous. And um, I'm sorry if you guys could hear my message going off. Super professional. And I would literally talk about the Hunger Games to anybody who would listen. Unfortunately, I was really lucky that two of my best friends at, in, middle, in middle school, two of my best friends were also like really obsessed with it. I like convinced them to go see the movies. They did 
I had already read all the books. They were like trying to reach, like read the books and catch up. And we would just like pass each other in the hallway. And I was like, what page are you on? And they'd be like, don't tell me. I just got to like the quarter quell or whatever. And I remember they, they spoiled the ending of Mockingjay to our science teacher who had the biggest crush on Jennifer Lawrence. He was like, I will go to the moon for this woman, even though I would never go to space. And, you know, we, again, they filmed the hunger games where I lived. So I remember there was a whole debacle. This girl claimed she met Jennifer Lawrence at the Shelby dairy queen. My friend didn't believe her. It, it was just a moment. She threw a fork at her. Middle school is a wild time. Do you know what I mean? So I was just like in love with the Hunger Games and everything about it. I thought it was like, like there's Shakespeare and then there's Suzanne Collins. Do you know what I mean? It was, I just was enamored by this trilogy and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Specifically the careers in the first movie, the 74th games. And that came from the fact that I was literally just fucking obsessed slash in love with the actors who played them. And this is, I think I, I can like pinpoint this back to like my Disney channel to, like days I'm a some Disney Channel games. Like I was in the Disney Channel games. Wow, could you imagine? Talk about a, something we'd never forget. I remember like Disney Channel and um, just watching these people like Miley Cyrus or Demi Lovato or Selena Gomez, and you were attached more so to like them as the person, not really them as like a character maybe except for Miley with Hannah Montana, but you get what I mean. We were invested in like the people. And so that obviously kind of moved over. Like Josh Hutcherson was literally like Robert Pattinson or Taylor Lautner. Like every girl was like ready to drop the panties for Josh Hutcherson because he was a hot red blooded male in Hollywood who kissed Jennifer Lawrence. We all wanted to be Jennifer Lawrence because she kissed Josh Hutcherson and was pretty and funny and just all that in a bag of chips. And then Liam Hemsworth was just kind of there. Personally, I, you know, come at me. Chris Hemsworth is the fucking shit. But Liam Hemsworth has the personality of printer paper. That is a hill that I will die on. I also conveniently, because like I said, they filmed The Reaping where I live. One of my neighbors, her husband worked security for the hunger games while they were in town there's a picture on her facebook of her husband being liam hemsworth's bodyguard and there was a paparazzi picture there's my six degrees of separation to liam hemsworth a literal human cardboard cutout. anyway so i just loved the cast of the hunger games i was 14 at the time and what was almost special or different about this was I was really really close in age if not the same age as the people in the film like Isabel Furman was a year older than I was barely Amanda Stenberg 
my age, Willow Shields, my age, looking back when I auditioned for Katniss, I would have made a better prim than Katniss. Quite frankly, no one needed to put me on a movie screen and give me that much power because holy shit, what a world we would live in. But you know what I mean? Most of the cast were young teenagers. They weren't like 20 years old. And that made them feel more real and more attainable to me because I mean, you know, I look like now when I was eight or nine, Miley Cyrus as Hannah Montana was already like 13. Like there was a, there was a bit of an age gap and you know, that was who I like wanted to be. But like these people, like I was these people, you know, like I auditioned for the hunger games too. You guys aren't special, but it was something where I was like, okay, I can connect with this person because this person is also like in middle school and high school. They're close to my age. It's cool to just see somebody who is completely fucking normal be in this role. And I just, I loved, I loved the fact that they were all friends. There was something so special about their bond and their friendship that I feel like I even looking at now, I'm just like, there is nothing like that. And I haven't seen anything like that since maybe the cast of High School Musical, the musical series, but that's really it that I've seen. They were just very close. And as somebody who, again, in middle school, you have girl drama, you have friend drama to just have a group of people who felt like a safe space for you was big. Most people, the group that was their safe space was like One Direction. Mine was the cast of The Hunger Games. To each their own. Do you know what I mean? So I was, again, emotionally attached to The Hunger Games cast. I love Jennifer Lawrence. I love Josh Hutcherson. I acknowledge Liam Hemsworth's presence, but... My heart was like with the tribute cast. So we're talking Isabel Furman, Alexander Ludwig, Jackie Emerson, Levin Rambin, Jack Quaid, Dioki, Amanda Stenberg, Willow Shields. Those were like my children and they still are my children. Like even to this day, I'm like, I made you, I birthed you, you are my child. I may not agree with anything you do, but I will always love you. Like I am their mom, even though, most of them don't know me, but besides the point. So in love with the Hunger Games cast, I'm on Tumblr. Hunger Games mania has set in at this point in time. We're all obsessed. We are all dressed, ready to go into the arena. And being on Tumblr, being somebody who used creativity to express their love, their appreciation, the billions of thoughts bouncing around in their head. Some being somebody who used writing as a tool for that, I was like, okay, at what point do I just stop beating around the bush and I start writing fan fiction for the Hunger Games? So I did. And this is... I literally have a whole episode of this like planned out at some point, but I'll briefly like touch on it. There's such a stigma around fan fiction that I absolutely loathe. It's gotten better or worse 
depending on which angle you look at it from now. It's, and like I said, it's in some ways better, in some ways worse now, but it's nothing like it was back in 2012. It was something, let me tell you. You didn't talk about like writing fan fiction on the internet. Like that was not, you didn't talk about like if you had a, fandom life on the internet you didn't speak about that shit okay it was your Hannah Montana alter ego it was a full-on secret life like you you were singing the best of both worlds in your bedroom because you literally were living two lives it it just it was crazy fan fiction had such a stigma around it fandom itself had such a stigma around it if you were like a fan of something you were like crazy you were obsessive you were like a stalker there was just such a negative connotation about it and I did not like that because I as a middle school girl desperately wanted to be accepted and to feel like I belonged and to feel like I was cool so I never talked about the things that I was into the things that I was passionate about unless I felt like I was in a safe enough space and it was a shared interest with someone. So with my two best friends at school reading the hunger games and being a popular thing, I felt safe and comfortable in that environment to just like let the freak flag fly. I think I said that right. I hope I did. That's a tongue twister. The freak flag fly. There we go. I think that was correct. And I really hadn't had that up to that point because like I said, I distinctly remember being like, okay, we can't tell people that we still watch Hannah Montana in 2010. Like we, we're not doing that. We can't, we, we can't do that. That's not appropriate. That's not how we become cool. And I just wanted to be accepted and to have friends so badly. So I wouldn't talk about this stuff and I didn't talk about my, like my love for the hunger games until I felt like, okay, I have people who are like in the same boat as me. And even when I was comfortable talking about these characters that I loved, these people that I loved, I still never went into the depth of it. Like I never, it was always like, there was always a point where I stopped before we started deep diving and seeing just how massive the iceberg was underneath the surface I would always stop I'd always catch myself because I didn't want it to go too far because once you start going there there is no turning back like there is no backpedaling there is no undoing it unsaying it anything like that like once it's out there it's out there so I never talked about like writing fan fiction but Tumblr just felt so and I hate to say this word about Tumblr because it is just not the case anymore or really ever was, I just felt so comfortable and safe on Tumblr that I was like, yeah, let's just start posting writing again because it had been a while since I had written really anything. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. So I started writing Hunger Games fan fiction. And when I say never in a million years would I have anticipated what happened I like never would have anticipated what happened. 
you know, I, like I said, I dreamed of being Hannah Montana and I dreamed of being famous and I loved writing. I've always loved writing. It's been just, I love telling stories, but I didn't realize that what I was doing was just, just on another level of like crack. I like I I still to this day have people online put two and two together and figure out that I'm that girl. And they're like, oh, my God, I read this when I was in like middle school. And I'm like. Thanks for making me feel really old. Me too, fam. Glad you liked it. I wrote a fan fiction and I am not going to name names because. Personally, I feel if you don't know by now what the name of it was, then you're just in the wrong place. But I wrote a fan fiction and it fucking blew up. I I posted it on Tumblr, which looking back in retrospect, should have posted it on Wattpad because then we wouldn't be dealing with the afters of the world. We would be dealing with my bullshit. I would just like wake up to floods and floods of messages from people. I would like blink and I would just gain followers overnight. I had, there was literally like an entire tag on Tumblr dedicated to the fan fiction. And I would like, we, I updated because I updated every Friday night on the weekends because I had school, I just remember like the whole tag, like the tag for the, the ship, the relationship that I wrote it about the whole tag for the ship would be about my fan fiction after I posted. And it was just mass. I felt like it was like mass fucking hysteria. It was insane like I always I always joke to the state I'm like yeah hi I led a cult when I was 14 but that's really what it felt like it felt like it was a cult because I was writing this and I was literally 14 in my bedroom in like April I I wrote I started writing it April 20 20th 420 blaze them up and I like wrote three chapters back to back to back that weekend and I, I just like that summer was a blur. It was such a blur. I was like writing my little fingers off to the point where I was like, it's a miracle. I didn't have carpal tunnel. I, it just like, I would write something and people would just be like, yeah, that happened. That's real. And I, like, I'm just like, hi, I'm not here being creative and just doing whatever the fuck I want. Cause I'm 14 and my boyfriend, my middle school boyfriend broke up with me and I have a lot of feelings about it. So let me just write some fan fiction and people ate that shit up. It was crazy. I met so many of my friends through that God awful fan fiction. Like I look back now and I read some of it, which at some point I would really love to do a dramatic reading of the old school fan fiction version of this, this story, because one time me and my, my, my bestie for the restie Claire, we did a dramatic reading of it over FaceTime. And it was so funny that I felt like one of my lungs collapsed. It was hilarious. 
and I just I'm like, why do people enjoy this? Why did people say that this was good writing? Why did people hype me up? Why did people tell me I was a good writer? Like this is garbage. But I'm just it, it baffles me and it astounds me to this day that people gave me power over this like it was just it was so weird because I remember it was like anytime anything would happen within our realm of the fandom like if two of the cast members got together and they hung out or if someone won an award at like a award show it was like where is Emily what are Emily's thoughts on this it I like it, it I I've never in my life experienced that I've never seen anybody else experience that and again maybe this maybe I was just me and the impressionable children who followed me on tumblr but it 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 was nuts it was nuts I was 14 I didn't know what the hell I was doing and people were like looking to me like I was their fearless leader and I was like "Mm mm-mm I'm just here to write the story and tell y'all some funny jokes with some gifts attached to them. So I, like I said, I joke and I say that I lit a cult at 14. It felt like a cult, you know, it was just, it was, it was crazy. I don't know how else to like put it. I just like, I, like I said, I still to this day find out from people on the internet who are like in different fandoms and different worlds and I just bring it up and they're like, oh, wow, that was you. I remember reading that. And I'm like, holy shit, how does that happen? But it does. And even though I joke about, you know, leading the cult or whatever, it it brought me to really wonderful things. One of those things was the people that I met. And I can't put into words how grateful I am that I lived a lot of my adolescence on the internet because the internet just is not what it used to be like I look at the internet and social media today and I look at it back in 2012 and I'm like these are not these these are not the same things like social media is just whole other machine and monster than it was when I was a kid and I was a teenager and I was lying about my age to get on these websites. I for I found like my people and it's weird to say and I still get weird looks about it even now as a full grown ass adult But I did. I found like my best fucking friends on the internet. I found people who live all over the world who I had so much in common with, not just this common underlying factor of, oh, we both like the Hunger Games. We both like Taylor Swift too. But it was like, we had the same values. We had the same thoughts about things. We wanted to like grow in similar ways as people I say when I was like 14 I was like I just want to be a bad bitch who is an independent woman and doesn't need a man but I like look at these people now and 
it's been almost 10 years and I'm still friends with so many of these people. I've been in their weddings. We've gone on vacations together. We have seen each other through hell and high water. It's incredible to me that being a part of this thing, this fandom, this just like group of misfit people, like we're on the island of misfit toys, just loving something and being passionate about a piece of media will bring you to the people that I feel have always supposed to be in my life. Like they were meant to be in my life. They're meant to be a part of my life, you know, for whatever period of time, a lot of them, I'm like, you are somebody who's going to be in my life forever. Like we will be at each other's weddings. We will, you know, be there for each other's like important life events and shit. And I was very hesitant of approaching that because again, there is such a stigma around fandom and there, it's not as bad now because we live in the fucking digital age. And so now things like online dating are practically, they are really, they're like normal now. But in 2012, there was shame associated with that and guilt. And it's like, oh, you can't, you can't, attract a person in real life you can't befriend a person in real life for me it was so much easier to make friends online because I didn't feel like I was having to put up this front and this persona and facade of someone that I thought people would like because that was what I did I was sitting there to myself in these social situations in middle school because again middle school is a jungle it's a nightmare. It is a dog eat dog world. And I was just, I felt like I was very perceptive of how people perceived me. And I was very aware and wanting, willing to do whatever I had to do in order to be the acceptable version of myself and to be the version of myself that they would like. And I just never fully felt like myself in those moments. I was always the Emily around blank or the Emily around blank. And it, it was just like I was just living as these iterations of myself. And I was putting on like a show, like you drop me in a scenario and here's how I'll act or react. And I just, I I hate to say that I never felt like a person, but I didn't. I just felt like this was who I'm, I I need to be. This is who I'm supposed to be in order to be perceived as cool, as funny, as worth these people's time and their friendship in order for them to want to stay friends with me in order to be interesting enough, but not too crazy. It, it's such a weird balance to try and find, especially when you're 14 years old and you don't know your ass from a hole in the ground. So I loved having this escape online because yeah, I could be whoever I wanted to be. I could be a totally different person. I could pretend I was Chanel from the Upper East Side who had doll doll bills y'all was like a fucking heiress. Like I could have been that, but instead I took the opportunity to just be myself, to just be like weird and quirky 
and nerdy and sarcastic and overly passionate about things and write and, you know, just like feel like me and then be able to connect with people who liked what I was presenting, which was myself. And they not only liked that, they wanted to be friends with me. They, you know, in the cult, they wanted to be like me, I guess. I hate saying that. It's very weird. It's very uncomfortable. But it was just such a fulfilling experience to be like, I'm accepted for who I am, not for who I'm being in order for you to accept me, but I just am. Here's how it is. Take it or leave it. You're taking it. Okay, cool. And I think there's something inherently beautiful and lovely and inspiring about that. I really do. And I just, you know, and I look at it now and I'm like, well, that's, that's the norm these days, but it, it really, it really just wasn't, I didn't get it until I got online and I had this safety of a computer screen and I could think things out before I said them or typed them. And I just, I, you know, obviously I don't want to continue to be the person I was at seven, 17. I don't want to be the person I was at 17. I don't want to be the person I was at 14. I don't want to be the person I was when I was 21. But I think having a space to be who you are at that age and have people who want to be your friend, like who just like who want to connect with you and be your friend and have similar interests and like the same things you do and maybe think the same way that you do. Just to have that at that age and know that it is possible and then to take that and carry it with you through your adolescence as you figure out the wild fucking thing that is life is just, I'm so glad I had that. I'm so glad I had that because while my other friends in high school were having full-on life crises and going through shit that I never went through, I wasn't going through it because I was like, I know who I am. I know I have people who love me for who I am and who are going to love me whether or not I go to this party, who are going to love me, you know, whether or not I think X about Y. I have people who are willing to accept the authentic version of myself love the authentic version of myself and celebrate the authentic version of myself. That was just so healing for me and so positive for me because hi, you girls got something like trauma associated with it. And it just, it, it was nice. And I feel like, you know, I can, I could go on all day about this and unpack this until the cows come home. But I was grateful to the Hunger Games fandom for that because up until that point, I hadn't had that. And especially with writing the fan fiction that everybody like read and everybody loved, I was like, okay, I can be cool without having to be someone that I'm not. Like I, people, other people perceive me as cool. I, my love language is words of affirmation. So having that external validation I 
thrived. I was a sunflower and their comments were the sun. The other thing that I am grateful for in a way um, is just how being immersed in this fandom and meeting these people and sharing her ideas and her thoughts and whatever the hell else. I felt creatively charged for really what felt like the first time in my life. I, I remember like when I would write stuff, I would just, you know, write, be creative, whatever. And like the family desktop computer when I was in elementary school and in, you know, early middle school. But I like remember I would actually finish things when I was writing for the Hunger Games fandom. And I remember people would send me like one shot requests and I would crank out like three and four a day during like the school week. And it wasn't tiring. It didn't drain anything out of me. It was fun. It was fun and I loved doing it because I got to just explore and write and just have fucking fun, which I feel like I, I just, I don't do that with writing enough anymore. I, you know, maybe it's because I'm older and I'm cheated and whatever, but it was just fun. Like I look back on that time and again, nostalgia is a beast. I look at, you know, the past with rose colored glasses. I don't see things for how they were, but I one thing I just like, I know in my heart is not me just romanticizing the past. I had fun writing and being creative. Like, I think I made like a movie when I was like in the Hunger Games fandom. Like, I think I made a movie instead of writing it. I just like made a movie. I slapped some clips together. It was like the most fun thing. And I loved doing it. And I, I, it was just accepted. Like I would be like, here's this. And people would be like, yeah, man, this is sick. And I just I thrived off of that. I really did. And again, it's being in this space where you were able to be encouraged and you'd throw this idea out and you'd have it validated. And it was like the best feeling ever. Now, that's not to say that everything should be like that. No, obviously there's some ideas and shit out there that, you know, I don't care what you say. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But we are looking at this specifically in the context of, hi, it's me reading The Hunger Games, a fictional book, and watching a movie starring some random people. It's like, it's not that deep. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's not that deep. It's the fucking Hunger Games. All will be well. But just to have that space to just be like, hey, Here's this idea about Cato and Clove. Let's pretend that everybody's models. Everyone's a model on Fashion Week. And th this is what happens. And just getting to do that and explore and do it with like characters that I already knew and loved. Because that was just my, what made it so easy about fan fiction. I was like, I don't have to like commit to doing all this extra development work. The characters are already there for me. I can write them however I want based in, you know, the very loose boundaries that are set based on what we have in canon. And I can just like go fucking crazy and people will validate it and celebrate it like that as a writer, as a creative person, there is nothing more 
satisfying than having your shit validated, having your shit validated, having it shared, having someone say that they love it. Thank you for doing this. This means something to me on whatever scale we're looking at. That was just everything to me. And apparently I'm really popular tonight because I'm getting so many text messages. I'm so sorry. But that's, again, it was just so wonderfully validating and accepting. And I keep using the word validating. It's like the buzzword of the evening. But it it was. And so I I just, the Hunger Games was that space for me where I was able to just feel like myself express myself and do it in a way that was safe and comfortable, accepted. And look, I just, I loved the people. Like I loved the people that were in this movie. Like I always find that I root for the underdog. I find myself like in, and it's, it's really weird. Like if you, if you take the time, like I do to analyze the little moments in your life, you'll, you notice patterns and things and you're like, wow, that was a sign after all. And something that I have noticed in my life as of late is that the underdog theme is very, um, recurrent. I always gravitate towards the underdog. I gravitate towards the little man, I gravitate towards, the underappreciated, the sidelined, the overlooked. I never am one who is like in the middle of a mainstream something like ever. I'm not a mainstream person, no matter how hard I try, no matter how I bend and will myself, I am not a mainstream person. I just am not. It's overwhelming to me. It I feel like it's a sea I get lost in. But when you go, when you draw back and you go niche and you go, undervalued, underappreciated, hardly recognized. What obscure corner of the fandom is this? That is where I thrive. And for me, everybody else was just like freaking out over Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutcherson because they were in all three movies. So obviously we have more time to get attached to them and to love them. Me, on the other hand, I was like, Isabel Fremen, I will buy a Kipling backpack from you that is $90 because I love you. Alexander Ludwig, I will play Live It Up on repeat, despite it being a modern day pop rock opera that no one should be subjected to. I'm going to listen to it because I love you. Jackie Emerson, you've done nothing film wise because you off at college getting your degree being a bad bitch. You have no media for me to consume other than The Hunger Games. But that's okay, because I love you. And so I'm going to cheer you on at Stanford while you're doing it. Levin Rambin, I'm going to watch you in Grey's Anatomy, Law and Order, SVU, whatever the hell else you've been in, because I love you. Jack Quaid, your dad may be Dennis Quaid, but that doesn't matter to me. You're the only Quaid in my heart, because I love you. Like, that was just, that was just the outlook I had on it. And those people were like my people. So I loved following them and, you know, seeing what they were, you know, doing with their careers. Anytime any of them would do anything ever, I was all over that shit. I remember when After Earth came out and Isabel Furman was supposed to be in it. So I went to go see that movie and it was the biggest waste of two hours of my life that I'll never get back. 
She wasn't even in the movie, but I went because I thought she might. I this the amount of things I have done for these people is ridiculous. I deserve financial compensation, please and thank you. They were just like my people and they really did feel like friends to me, which sounds a little weird, but they did. They felt like friends because, you know, I would I would tweet them and they would tweet me back. So I felt like there was something there. Like I had there's a note somewhere. I think it's on my Yahoo account and it's just like it's called THG and I, Hunger Games and I, and it's just a list of all the interactions with all of them that I have had. And it's, it's really obnoxiously long and I don't know why I kept onto it, but I think I kept onto it because I was like, oh, okay, here's like, here's the proof that these people know I love them, which just again, validation, words of affirmation, that's my love language. So I, that just was like really special to me. And funnily enough, something again that is just I I hold it so near and dear to my heart because no matter what fandom I like jump to I'm never gonna have the same experience with the fandom that I have had with the Hunger Games like it's just a totally unique experience I I couldn't duplicate it twice even if I wanted to and had it down to a science and I wouldn't want to something that I just I, I like find it crazy and and it's something like I said I hold very near and dear to my heart is the fact that Jackie Emerson who plays Foxface is basically like a friend of mine which is baffling to me like ma'am who who let you talk to me like they shouldn't but okay <laughs> um my best friend Claire actually met her at Disneyland. They were at Disneyland on the same day. And I remember I woke up that morning and I was like, bitch, find her. Find her. Tell her you love her. Because like Claire and I would always joke. I was like, you're the Emerson to my Furman. I was like, you're the Jackie to my Isabel. And um, I, I just remember I was like, find her, find her, find her. And we, I like the amount of super sleuthing I did from South Carolina to what was going on on the other side of the freaking country. Masterful. I remember I was laying in bed with the lights off and I just got a FaceTime call and my heart fell out of my ass because I was like, I know what is about to happen. And sure enough, she was with Jackie and I got to talk to Jackie for a little bit and it was, it was really sweet. And I, I, 10 out of 10 would recommend to a friend and she's very kind very sweet I felt like the most special human being in the world because Jackie is just like a, a ray of sunshine in that way and again I think that's why I was so drawn to these people was because they are the people that they are in the interviews and on Instagram and on screen and I just feel like we live in a world in a society where that's just not the case everyone is projecting something that they're not in order to be what other people expect from them and want from them. And these people just weren't, they were like, Hey, here's who I am. If you like it, cool. If you don't, that's cool too. And Jackie was just so lovely. And I've always loved Jackie because Jackie was a huge fan of Harry Potter, which I also love. And Jackie just like openly embraced being a fangirl 
She owned that shit. She rocked that shit. And it was just so comforting and all around wonderful to see somebody embracing a life that I felt like I had to hide and doing it unapologetically so and being someone who is in the fucking Hunger Games and they're they have the same they think the same as I do they like are into fandom life and just being a fangirl over things and finding pleasure in things like movie nights and rereading the books for the hundredth time like that just having somebody who I loved doing what I love doing was stellar for me and like I said Jackie was very sweet during this time I wrote a book and I took the fan fiction that I had written a million years ago and I turned it into a book and part of the inspiration for that was I talked with Jackie and I ended up dedicating the book to Jackie and Jackie found out. And I just remember I, this was after I got back from Amanda's wedding. I had slept for like four hours because I was super jet lagged from a flight to Minnesota, North Carolina. I was jet lagged. I don't fly well. And I remember I woke up Jackie and Jackie did a live stream where they both talked about my book. Jackie said she was going to buy it. And then I woke up also to direct messages from Jackie that um, were not prompted by me sending her something first. And she, she was just so kind and so lovely and so wonderful and just so humbled by the whole thing. And I was like, I, I would die for you, ma'am. I really would. And it ended up that I, for me and my friend Greasy, for charity, we like bought a hangout with Jackie on Skype and it was supposed to be like an hour long thing. It wasn't. We were on the phone for like two and a half hours and I got to tell Jackie, you know, about how I wrote this book and all this other stuff. And it wasn't like talking to your favorite actor. It was literally like talking to your friend and again, the loveliest, most wonderful person on the planet. I would die for her. She is just, I cannot sing her praises enough. And I, I, maybe it's weird and lame of me. I consider her a friend. I would maybe like to think she considers me a friend. I don't know. Even if it's just like the kind of friend that's just above acquaintance, but you know, I've talked with her about things and, she's just been so wonderful and it's crazy to me that it's somebody who was in a movie that I loved so much and was somebody that 14 year old me was like I like you I'm gonna like base my whole personality off of being your fan so it was just surreal and that's how I just like encapsulate the whole Hunger Games experience it's just surreal I I live where they filmed the reaping last summer, me and some of my friends who I met on Instagram, we went to onset cinema, which is an event held by Myers house, um, here in North Carolina. And we got to go to Henry river mill village camp out 
watch the movie there. Like we we literally camped out at Cadness's tree where she's begging Peter for bread. Like I we slept where Jennifer Lawrence sat and had a hose pour down ice cold water on her while she looked really sad and starving. That's a moment. We we went to Henry River Mill Village and just had a phenomenal time. So beautiful, such a just a dream of a place. And we went to Asheville. We toured Asheville. I've been to Asheville before because my grandparents lived in Tennessee. So you got to go through Asheville to get to Tennessee. And we stayed where the cast stayed because I'm a super sleuth. And we hiked. We went to um, DuPont State Forest. And so we got to see where they filmed a lot of the arena scenes where they filmed, you know, Katniss finding PETA after the rules change. Uh, where the careers are chasing Katniss through the river. It was just so surreal and so cool. Like there's literally not a better word for it other than it was dope. Like it it was just so wonderful. And like I said, I got to experience with people who are very near and dear to my heart. And that's just the Hunger Games experience, man. You know, there's there there are not many movies that or really anything that I have such interesting stories behind, like between me auditioning for Katniss Everdeen, you know, me running through a parking lot, grabbing a movie ticket, high fiving my dad and sprinting into a movie theater, me and my friend hydroplaning our whole way to go see Catching Fire, filming the kiss scene on the beach on the phone while we're both crying in the background and then we went and sat on the floor of a Walmart, flipping through Hunger Games U.S. Weekly magazines. It just the most random shit. Like, I just, I don't have those memories and those stories necessarily. And this has just been with me for such a long time. You know, it'll be 10 years next year. It's been 10 years since they filmed, which is wild to me. It'll be 10 years since the movie came out next year, which is wild to me because it's just like, this has been a part of my life for 10 years. And it's been such a defining part of my life for 10 years. And I always say things like, I don't know who I'd be without the Hunger Games. <laughs> but like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the friends that I have today. I wouldn't have books by me on my bookshelf. I wouldn't have experienced a lot of the things that I've experienced. Like, I would not have gone to California if I didn't meet Claire, who I met on the night of the Catching Fire premiere when I was like in anaphylactic shock over the fact that Isabel Furman and Jack Amerson were going to the premiere. I I just, I wouldn't have those things. I wouldn't have going to like Henry River Mill Village with like some of my best friends in the whole world and getting rained on at DuPont St. Forest in the middle of a storm and passing by a man who had been struck by lightning. To which Gracie said, hi, we're looking for Peter Malark. And he says, I've been struck by lightning. And we were like, cool. <laughs> and then we ran. We're great people, I promise. But I just, you know, I wouldn't have those. I wouldn't be fucking friends with Jackie Emerson. Like, hello. And then I'm also friends with some of the other cast members on Facebook because I friend requested all of them when I was in middle school and I found all their personal Facebooks and I sent them friend requests and then they, some of them were stupid enough to respond to them and accept them. So there's that. 
But I just, you know, I I have two whole shelves on my bookshelf dedicated to Hunger Games. And some people think that that's really excessive and really dumb. And to them, I say, you know, you might be right. But at the end of the day, you just got to do as the wise philosopher Alexander Ludwig once said, you just got to live it up, live it. Party hard like no one would care. Live your life. Live your life, live it. You gaze for the stars. You shoot for them too. Nobody can tell you what to do when all falls down. And start to doubt. Baby, don't. <laughs> I can't believe I did that on the podcast. But I figured, you know, I would tell the story, tell the tale of me and the Hunger Games and why it has just been so important to me over the last 10 years and why I just it holds such a special place in my heart and you know for some people they would tell you that Harry Potter is like their comfort series because you know Harry Potter had a magic to it and Harry Potter just allowed them to feel and to live and to be the best version of themselves and the fandom of Harry Potter was just like the experience of like finding your own family. And I love Harry Potter with like my whole heart. I love Harry Potter so much, but I was a little young when I started reading them and when the books came out. And so I didn't really get to have that experience with Harry Potter or with Twilight, but I got to have it with the hunger games and man, it, it, it really is. It's just like finding your family finding yourself living in this world where nothing can like touch you. It's like your safe place. It's your, it's your safe place to land. It's an escape. It's where you feel like you are at home and it's cheesy, but that's what the hunger games is to me. And you know, I, it's sad because I feel like the hunger games really has died out of mainstream Harry Potter, even though J.K. Rowling is a horrible human being, you know, Harry Potter's still big. Twilight is Twilight had a resurgence. Good for Twilight. But like the Hunger Games had its day in the sun and now it's just kind of withered away, which is sad. But it's still very special to me. And like I said, I feel like it's just very fitting because again, I don't do the mainstream and Hunger Games is not really the mainstream. It just kind of sits in the back corner, but the back corner is a fun fucking place to be. If you, if you decide to come visit us. And I think that is where I'm going to end it today because my throat is beginning to hurt. Thank you so much for listening. I have a mission for you. If you've made it to this point, I'm going to do my damnedest to make this happen in some capacity, but I have a dream and a goal, and my goal is to interview some of the cast of The Hunger Games on this podcast. I just think that would be dope in every sense of the word. I really would love to just have a chat with them and hear about like life 
and how life is going for them and not even necessarily talk about the Hunger Games, just talk about them as human beings because they are lovely human beings and they deserve more love and all the all the love, all the hugs, all the praise. And I just would like to talk to them. I think that's I think that's a reasonable goal. I think that's a appropriate thing to wish for, especially at this point in the game. Like, hi. I am single-handedly carrying all of your careers at this point. Please, please give back. I have I have given so much. I need to receive for once in my life. So my mission to you, let's see who you can get to come be on my podcast that all five of my friends listen to and no one else. So Jackie, Levin, Alexander, Jack. I'll even entertain it. Talk into Isabel. Dio, Amandla, Jennifer Lawrence doesn't have social media and she probably doesn't care, but you know, that would be dope too. Who am I forgetting? I feel like I'm forgetting one of my kids. As a mother, this is, there is no greater disappointment, but you get the gist. You can Google a picture of them if you so need. I would love to interview them. I would love to talk to them. I would just love to just chill and talk about life and talk about them meeting the world but it's but yeah so there's your mission this is your call to action your call to arms for me please do this for me <laughs> please do this for me I deserve it but yeah so that's the dream I'm, I'm speaking it I'm putting it out there because manifestation is a thing that I somewhat believe in so we're just gonna go for it Thank you for listening to me ramble on and on and on about the Hunger Games. I hope it was worth it. Please make sure you check me out on other social media things. They're linked somewhere. I feel like I'm wrapping up a YouTube video. This is so painfully awkward. I hate it. But just know that any support you give me or this podcast by sharing it, following me, telling me you love me it is so appreciated by me and I hope you know I love you and I hope that you're taking good care of yourself and that you are doing all of the things with your life that you want to be doing and if you're not then I hope you remember that tomorrow is brand new day and if you want to change your fucking life, go for it. Nobody's stopping you. Tomorrow's a new day to be a new person if that's what you want. Sometimes it doesn't seem that simple, but sometimes it is. I love you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for just being wonderful, amazing human beings. I love you all. I will see you next time, hopefully much sooner. And I don't know why I keep saying see you because you can't see me. All you can do is hear me. So I hope we will find ourselves here in this corner of the internet once again very soon. But until then, take care. I love you. Bye.